Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media production. And our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today we're going to talk about USDZ in the Apple Office apps. Uh, this is just released last week, and we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like and what it means and what we might be able to do with it. So uh, so, so we're going to be talking about that in the second hour. Um, and uh, in before we get started on the on the questions, we thought a couple of new things that popped out. I don't know if we'll do this every day, but things that happened over the last day that we might that might be interesting to you. Um, one of them is uh, the new uh, Nob Omniscope is in public beta. Um, I don't know a bunch of us got emails about it. Did you? Did you, uh, guy? You said you were having trouble downloading it, or you got it downloaded? I just checked the back end and my license, and it just was still must be the the gold master version. I didn't see a beta version, so I went to update mine, and it's like you have the current version. So mine's one point nine two seven that I'm using, and that's what's in the license. If I go to the about, but uh, yours must be not mine. Gold is um, yeah, mine mine is the um, let me see if I this is the this is the new version. It looks looks like I just did, I just cut to the wrong thing. Hold on, how did that happen? Um, two. Oh, that's weird. I can't get my, I can't get my, uh, oh, <laughs> well, I may not be cutting to a lot of things today. We'll have to figure this out. Um, I updated uh, the, this is a new problem that we just, just created here today is I updated my, uh, software yesterday, the, um, the ATEM software, and it no longer is cutting to anything, I think. <laughs> Hold on, let me try to. Oops. Yeah, it's like I in my preview. See, that's not my preview. I I, I have two in preview, so don't up, don't update the ATEM uh, today because um, it may you not may be have good. lost your presets, so it may have changed your key or your downstream. Check that downstream. you have the outputs selected properly. Output one and output two. Hold on. Let's see here. I'm pulling up uh, the ATEM here. One of them needs to be set for, to program. Hold on. And did you save the XML file for config? Uh, let's see here. So, yeah, I have to reprovision mine every day that I come back because I keep it powered off all the time. And where so you, that little XML file that? is critical. I've never had to do that before. It's always been, I mean, program is always coming because it's not, my program well, is coming out of my selectable. USB. It's selectable, so it's USB. easy. Yeah, it's not output one and output two. No, I'm not using the HDMI outputs. Like I'm using the USB into your computer, right? Yeah, I'm using USB into my computer. So that's always program. Like you can't okay. change the output uh, okay. there. So um, so we found a new bug um, and Omniscope is is out. And <laughs> we go to question, I had such a great idea. Hey, let's start showing, if there's new th new announcements, let's start showing, let's talk about those at the beginning of the show. <laughs> and I was thwarted immediately. So we'll, we'll uh, back up. I should have, I cut to something else a second ago. And uh, let's see here. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, and Bill has yeah. found the, that found works. works. Stop ringing. My, my uh, let's see here. And then if I hit cut. After you get it right, if you just that don't launch the ATEM software control app under the file menu, they have save as and restore. So you can save uh, as all your on. settings and then just hit restore. Yeah, when, I don't. When they go wonky. Oh, so you know what's funny is, is I can, um, I can cut it, but only in, uh, I can cut it, but only if I'm, 
I can do it in the software, but not in the hardware anymore. So the hardware. Fact, is no longer when I brought that up to double check the, unplug the, the hardware, I and messed plug it, it up, in. so I have to yeah. restore mine right now okay, we'll and bring it back up to the right levels. <laughs> and, and the I good news is, is right, there we go. they probably right. fixed the ATAM gray problem. Well, that turned out very. That, that this is this is you see Guy Cochran's back, and and we I was trying to look all pro and everything, and look at look at what happened. Look at look at how look at it's all back to the old days. All right, we're gonna go ahead and jump into the first question, Mitch. What do we have? Thanks, Alex. Uh, Jens Olson from Sandpoint, Idaho, has a question. What are the results from everyone testing their production gear with the iPhone 15, ATEM, X32, Dante, and MixPre? You know, a lot of us don't have the 15 yet, and uh, so I, I don't think anybody on this current panel has the John, do you have the 15 yet? Did you get the? No, no. So no one here has the 15 yet, so we're not a good example. But mine, I slept through the first half hour of the pre-order at 5, five o'clock, so... Uh, my my 15 shows up sometime in the next. Oh, do you have one, guy? Did you have the 15? No, no, you don't. Yeah, so no, so anyway, I went ahead and just before the 15 showed up, I went ahead and got the iPad Mini 6 with USB C to test some of the. Uh, I when iOS 17 was still in beta, so I was testing some of the apps like. Um, uh, there's a cool one that allows USB C. You should download, uh, Alex. It's called. Uh, uh, video assist. Uh, it's 79 bucks. It's expensive, but it allows you to get scopes. Uh, so you can plug an A10 mini into Ooh. an iPad or an iPhone 15. Ooh. Yeah, it's, it's expensive, but man, it's cool. It's, so you can record, awesome. you get scopes. And then there's another an app, the Camo Studio guy. app that allows you to stream to YouTube over USB-C. It, it, right now that app only has um, a generic setting. You can't go in there and tweak your bit rate right. and things like that. But I have high hopes. I'm, the next one I'm waiting on is Lyrics Broadcaster, so we could do SRT over a phone, iPhone 15. So I'm excited about that. Just need yeah. to save some pennies and get that iPhone 15. Yeah, I just yeah. want the biggest one. And so that's the that's the problem. I want to get the one terabyte. I ordered it. <laughs> it's just I just ordered it late. So I'm supposed to get it sometime in early October. Uh, go ahead, Courtney. I mean, when I say late, by the way, when I say ordered late, I ordered it 35 minutes after it went on sale, and and I have to now wait three weeks. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, for once, I'm on the same level as all the rest of the panelists. I also don't have an eye. <laughs> <laughs> so we haven't had a chance to test a lot of it yet. Um, so stay tuned. We'll, we'll keep giving you updates on it. It's a pretty exciting update. Uh, next question. Next question from Peter Moore in Auckland, New Zealand. I really enjoy the Office Hours After Hours cooking shows with Hasmuk's wife. Any chance we'll get more of those? Uh, good, Bill. Um. No, I don't think that was my oh. hand raised. That's uh, oh, on the Dale Nevada question. Well, they jumped. Something got yeah, jumped. Yeah, we, we got a little confused around there. Happened. Although, I have to admit, I'm right on board with you. I love those cooking shows. I think uh, Hasmuk and his wife put out a really, really nice product. And that was so just I think it was culturally great to take a look at a different culture's cooking processes. I know my wife watched some of those and was just fascinated by what she did and how that compares to what she learned as a young girl in the, in the American South. It was really brilliant programming, I thought. Yeah, the um, I think that the Sorry, we're having a little trouble in the back end here. <laughs> so it's, it's just one of those days. Um, anyway, so the um, uh, I think that there's a lot of opportunity there to to do a lot more, and we're working on trying to figure out some of the bits and pieces. We wanted to try to figure out a way to be able to pull all the individual feeds back into a switch. Um, and so we're kind of working through figuring out what that would look like. And um, so we're, you know, we're, I think that we're, we're definitely going to come back with some more cooking. Um, it's just a matter of figuring out uh, how we want to do it there. Um, I, I, it's 
to be honest with you, changed the way I cook. I, I have almost eliminated meat <laughs> from my diet. And it really started with those that, that cooking where I really learned, oh, I just wasn't putting the right spices in. I wasn't cooking it the right way. And along with a bunch of other things, I started cooking differently. And uh, so I, I admit that that uh, uh, Demianti's um, secret plan has succeeded in the sense that I still still eat meat, but it went from pretty much every meal to like twice a week uh, over the last year and a half. So it's very interesting. Um, next question. Dale Nebeda from Oakland, California. What is your opinion on this self-lighting green screen from Sub2R? Good, Bill. I looked at it when it first came out, and I think Alex actually has one, so he'll probably tell us the reality of how it works. There's things about that approach that I have liked in the past. I like the fact that at least the light is going to be even, and it's it, you know you, it takes you away from messing up some of the things that people do in the early days with green screens. The downside's pretty expensive. I think it's close to six hundred dollars mm-hmm. at least in retail. So that's Five, a I lot think. of money for that kind of thing. Uh, and I have to say that. Um, I'm going to toss up an image here. These are three of the things that I uh, used, I, uh, shots I shot at Comic-Con. One of those is a composite of two shots, and I really can't tell the difference. And it was a composite done from a secondary shot where Hannah, the young woman who's playing Queen Amidala, um, was against a different background. I literally just touched her in iOS it did a beautiful cutout key of her, and I applied her against a different background. And for those of you who are interested, it's the shot on the left that is a composite versus the other two. And so I just am not sure that green screening is going to be the same for at least this kind of use. Now, that's not a live circumstance. So if you're live green screening, different different ball of wax. But the algorithms for doing it in post I, I think there's going to be less need to shoot photos well, against green screen in the future. Photos, but I think this is primarily for video. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, yeah. I looked at it. It's um, I don't know how portable it is because it it comes. Uh, maybe Alex, you can tell us it comes in all these parts that you have to assemble. And uh, I don't know how it's not going to fold flat like your regular green screen. And the other thing I worried about is if you you can actually see in, in if you crank the level down or your exposure down, you can actually see the striations of where the illumination is behind the green screen is a little bit uneven there. So I don't know how big a problem that would be. But uh, another solution is that, you know, that's a little bit bigger than a... 65-inch LCD TV, but you can use those for pretty cheap these days and put a green screen on them, you know. Yeah, it it is, um, it, it's, uh, um, it's, it's in my other room. <laughs> like it's right over there. Uh, the, the, the issue is, is that it, it is, uh, I, I have to rearrange a bunch of stuff in my office and it has been a thing. Like I've been slowly figuring out how to get my office set up so that I can do it. So I think that in general, for most people who don't have a low hung grid over top of them, it's not as big of a deal. But when it, when you do, I have had to kind of figure out how I'm going to do that. And in my copious free time, I have to kind of rearrange things. And so it's been sitting there for weeks while I try to figure out how to how to structure it. So in my space, and I think Mitch had a similar problem, in, in a space that's complicated, it's hard to figure out where to put it. Um, it is very portable. It, it collapses into almost nothing. I mean, it's basically the same as a pop-up. Um, I think that if it, if it works, um, 
if it works, it's the $600 to me would be nothing if I was able to do the interviews. I just haven't been able to get it. And I may bring it out in pieces, like, or just, you might see some edges to it. Um, and so I've been trying to kind of figure that out. It's just, it's just the structure of my office is made it's hard to test. Um, but, but the, um, uh, but I, it's not like in most normal offices, it would be fine. <laughs> just mine is very set up. And so that's what I've been trying to kind of, um, I may have to turn it sideways, but it pops up really, really easily. It collapse, you know, collapses into something that you can basically check, you know, or throw into the back into the trunk of your car. Um, and an even an even lit green screen that can do that would be very exciting. And again, I may just go ahead and give up and just throw it up there. But it's been one of those things that I've been trying to get it so that it does exactly what I want it to do. And in my space, that has been more challenging than I expected. Go ahead, Mitch. Yeah, I do have one, and I've been evaluating it, and um, here's the things I've learned about it that's interesting. Um, when it's collapsed, it's literally in a case about yay big yeah. by this way. It's There's nothing to it. As far as building it, um, it takes about 10 minutes first time around. Just a screen first on time. some posts. Like the second time I put like it up, that. it was like five. <laughs> like yeah, like five. Like, yeah, so like, here's the thing with it. It is self-lit, and it doesn't really show those striations, Courtney, that you were pointing out, but it could, I suppose, under certain conditions. But um, for a self-lit green screen, it works great. Uh, it's five feet by seven feet. And I would think that the best use for it is going on um, mobile shoots, shoots where you're going to a corporate headquarter and you want to place somebody in front of a green screen. Quick and easy. And the fact that you don't have to deal with lighting, which is the big deal with this yeah. thing, uh, is very convenient. You just turn a little USB uh, rheostat on. You can set to three different levels. So I give it a thumbs up. Uh, the only problem is, and uh, they saw me try to do this on uh, After Hours, um, is when you get that taco, Ben, what is it, Bill, that uh, when you're... It's the taco. Ben, you got to make the, the taco. taco. Yeah. When you're making a taco, except it's twice as hard because it's it's doubly uh, thick with a little bit of uh, space between. Um, it took me many, many tries and must, much frustration and many bad words. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, one question I had is, uh, are the LED backlights uh, green or are they RGB or can you do a blue screen with it? And in other words, is the screen the fabric itself... Screen translucent yeah no no blue it is all the screen is already green green and the lights probably are green also so it's green leds and a green fabric yeah okay it's all green uh next question from douglas carmichael i'm working with a church to improve their pa and streaming infrastructure and they say that things can move at their own pace so implementing changes can take some time however can i make a case for church leadership for investing in production good guy yeah, this is a really slow moving one with a lot of politics. You got to be careful. You got to tread carefully, especially if you're coming in as a as a volunteer. Our church has one camera with a PTZ and a, and a, a basic encoder. It's it's nothing glamorous, but it gets the message across, and that's what they want. So coming in as a volunteer and trying to push the technology envelope, you got to remember what happens if you leave and you brought in all this tech, and now somebody has to figure it all out. Keeping it simple for them is probably the the best bet. Uh, you just got to you got to paint the vision but if they follow it uh, you could say here's what this other church is doing here's here's what where we can go so like this church that i went into um, locally they had uh, 2ME, HyperDex, WebPresenter, vMix, 
multiple uh, uh, PTZs and I was just blown away. Pro presenter, they had the teleprompter. Uh, so the, the person on stage could look up and see from pro presenter uh, the words to the, the music. It, it was just fascinating, but it, everybody's at a different level. So you just got to be careful as to uh, if you come barging in and start making all these demands about changing this and getting this mixer in this uh, expensive stuff because they have budgets and you just got to be realistic about it. You might want to look at other churches. If that's, <laughs> I know that's a, a little deep, but you just got to kind of maybe look at who has what and who's more into pushing the technology envelope. But I found that churches move very, very slow and pushing uh, can be a fruitless effort. Go ahead, Courtney. You could convince the elders or the leaders of the church to set up a special AV fund that uh, people could contribute to, you know, to tithe to that is separate from their regular pass the plate kind of fund to, to bring you up to the level of the other churches and convince people that you need to, uh, you know, convince the uh, church membership that they need to up their game a little bit to... Uh, be able to bring the the services to their people at home and the ability to uh, watch these days in a multimedia world, you know. Yeah, I agree with the, you got to kind of, with almost anything in a large organization, you have to um, think in long terms, like years. Like don't think in weeks or days, think in months and years and sometimes decades. <laughs> so so it just depends on how big the the organization is. And so you just don't want to move slowly. I will say that, uh, the churches that I've seen be successful at this actually do a fairly in-depth in investment. When you get little tools, what happens is it's really frustrating for the volunteers. Um, you know, if they're if you do more than just this, you either make it really easy and people are there to help the church, or you make it more complex and people are there to train. Um, and that's the thing that I learned from the, the the larger churches that have like CL5s and you know broadcast cameras and you know all the other stuff that's there. Um, it's seen by the folks that are volunteering as an opportunity to learn how to use, touch the big gear and learn how to use it. And they're not looking, I mean, they're, they want to help the church. I mean, they're in the church or whatever, but they're not doing it as a favor. They're doing it as an opportunity. And that's when things change and they end up with a lot more staff. And then, then you end up with a lot more people there to train. And, and so it can be a, a good investment in that area. Um, but you do have to, you know, if the, the halfway in between is usually difficult. The church spent a bunch of money, but it's not enough to inspire people. And then they don't then it's hard. It's just a constant grind to bring people in. So that's the that's always the challenge that you have there. Let's go to the next question. Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida. It looks like Nob Omniscope has a new version. Has anyone tried it out? Is my screen capture coming with Nob Omniscope? I don't know if it is. Okay, It so, is coming. I'm getting it as my primary feed on. here. I, that, I don't use screen capture very often. Yeah, you use screen So um, anyway, so uh, so anyway, so the uh, if you're if this is the new Omniscope, uh, it looks pretty much like the old one. It does pop up with something a little more pre-made. It used to be kind of an open-ended thing. Um, and so, you know, I don't have all the the breakdown of it, but it is working. And the reason that I'm showing it here is because it's actually working with the ATEM. Um, the... Uh, last version, the end of the last version was crashing on my ATEM all the time. So whatever they did, they fixed it. It's really funny. It had something in there to turn up, turn that off. It was like, oh, I don't want to play anymore. Um, but I will say that Omniscope has become, you know, one of my favorite scopes to use just because it's cross-platform, so it works on a lot of different things. Um, it's very flexible, and there's a lot of high-end folks giving them input, and so it's starting to really become a standard, and it's just as accurate. I put it up against hardware sc scopes. I haven't seen any dramatic difference in the in the quality of it. It's just looking at the looking at a digital signal. So, um, been been pretty happy with it. Yeah, go ahead, uh, uh, Courtney. 
Yeah, is it uh, does it gener- is it full frame rate? Because we're seeing about five frames per second, but that yeah, may I'm be getting a lot of results. That's because I'm doing screen share. Yeah, yeah it's not. Yeah. It's that's that, that's Zoom. That's not. Uh, it, it on is your full monitor. Frame. It's full frame rate. One hundred percent full frame. It, we're just Great. doing screen share here because I'm trying to figure out. Anyway, um, I don't. Yeah, next question. Douglas Carmichael, as a presenter, what is the most useful way to check for audio-video sync issues during rehearsal? Depending on the pipeline, will those be evident on an on-stage confident? Uh, you know, as a presenter, you don't really think about it. Like you are, you know, you you expect the tech team to figure that out long before you get up there. If the audio video sync is, isn't working when I get up to present, I just tell everyone, hey, sorry, the audio sync isn't working. And then I keep going. You know, I don't, you know, there's nothing to fix at that point. Um, if you are trying to, to do it earlier, there's a lot of different ways to do it. The most advanced way is probably, use, you know, it's using Hitomi's um, Matchbox. Matchbox will very quickly tell you exactly what that, you know, what, where you're at. Um, people count and they clap. And both of those don't work very well. So, so it, it's it. I, I we, we kind of try to put. I try, I try to put up with them. <laughs> like we're nice about it. Um, but all I need people to do is generally say a bunch of p words. So Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, and we actually have a whole like someone wrote one that was hilarious that we have people read off their iPhone, and they. Um, um, but it's all with a lot of p's. The reason that you use p's is because your mouth can only say a P in a certain way. And so there's, it's very hard for people to, people can talk in a way that seems out of sync and P's are a place that grounds you to the, you know, to that, to that process. And so, um, so we try to have people do that. The clapping thing is useless. Like it's useless. I mean, it's, it is, it's so frustrating, but we let the stage people use it because they feel better doing that. But you can't get more than plus or minus two frames with, with the clapping thing. And so it's just really, you know, you put, you have to put up with it. Otherwise they'll throw you into the bus if something goes wrong later. So, so you just put up with it. There are some apps that you can play that, that are, you know, um, that'll, that'll play a little sync video or or not sync video, but a little app that'll run those. Those are hard to really get exactly right. Anything that's kind of that flavor of it is, is really hard to get it just right. Um, the, the best way to do it, in my opinion, if you have the time, and it's actually the fastest stage time. We pay a lot of attention to stage time. How long are you on stage trying to figure this out? Because a lot of times it's very little. We will go out with a slate and we will have someone run out. We're recording on our encoder so that we have exactly what went out to the internet, the exact segments that went out to the internet. And we have someone just come up and close the slate. We then grab onto that file and we open it in um, that segment. We open it in our NLE and we count the number of frames between the impulse and the, and the, and the strike. And that's the offset. <laughs> and, and you can do it. You come out and do it in the morning. You come out and, and you make the correction. You come out and do it in the, in the uh, afternoon. And it takes less than a minute both times to do that. Um, if you don't have time, you know, there, there's some complexities to that that, that make it work. But um, the counting thing is fine. It's just it's, it's really like without the P's, it's really hard. So there's a whole bunch of... There's a whole bunch of numbers that don't mean anything. And so you just get, you get kind of, I deal with this all the time. And so, so you do the clapping to make everybody happy. The counting is okay. But if someone just goes out there and reads, you know, you know, a couple minutes of P's, I can usually t- dial it in really fast um, if, if you've done it in a while. But, but try to stop with the clapping if it, you're the one doing it because it's not accurate. <laughs> like it's, you know, so just, just please stop. Go ahead, Courtney. 
Yeah, there's several things, sync issues to deal with if you're doing a presentation with iMag. If it's iMag and then you have a confidence monitor that you're looking at, the pathway to the confidence monitor and the pathway to the projector, they can both have different sync delay issues. Uh, some projectors will do a lot of video processing and will delay it a frame. So you want to make sure that you pull all the processing out to shorten it. Uh, and also your sync, if it's going out streaming, they have a way to adjust the sync uh, they can adjust it back by delaying the audio uh, in the streaming out since you're not going to be watching the stream going out it's not going to affect your presentation but if you're having to use an air mouse or a presentation controller to click on stuff that you're seeing on the screen on the confidence monitor that can be a problem if there's a big delay between uh you know the computer that you're clicking on and the confidence monitor so make sure they pull all the put the monitors if it's a monitor in game mode if it's a tv and uh, make sure the projector has the least amount of processing turned on so it'll be delayed less um, but at some point with all this digital displays these days you can only get it down to about uh, two frames a lot of times and that's good enough uh, you'll just have to live with it behind you for lip sync going on but uh, if it's going to affect your pointing and clicking on stuff uh, check it out ahead of time especially for the iMag and in the in the room uh, usage of the monitors go john alex is a perfect use case for chat gpt peter's particularly or pancakes perplex paula profoundly pensive poets can profoundly <laughs> prose persistently <laughs> it gave me 10 different oh my gosh you could tell a story where you could say tell me a story that is 90 percent P words and it will figure it out. That's so great. Uh, go ahead, Bill. So I just wanted to reinforce what Alex said in the beginning, Douglas. Um, if you've got, if you're going on stage to present, your entire job is presenting, which means that if you're thinking about any of the tech stuff behind that, don't do it. I can't tell you the number of backstages I've been on with reasonably large audiences. And I am totally used to seeing the presenter in a dark corner of the stage, relentlessly practicing up to the moment they walk on stage. It's all about performance and any tech thinking at that point is distracting you from your primary role. Just my two cents. Next question. Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida, asking, which is the USB wired-only headset boom mic with the highest quality microphone? Our presenter insists on a gamer headset, but so far, all the mics I've used with USB headsets have been terrible. Which is the USB wired-only boom mic? Uh, go ahead, Bill. The one that seems to be the most full range we learned from Garth Brooks when he was touring is the Shure headset that has that round capsule. It's, not, it's a crown. I mean, it's a crown? Oh, you're right. It is crown. Uh, you know, he sang through whole shows being able to play his guitar through that. And um, I think that's the only one. Now, I have had experiences with some of the really high-end small capsules where we've gotten really good sound out of it, uh, particularly the Countryman real high-end systems. I've had really good work, uh, good luck with. I still haven't used them in um, voiceover recording one way or another because those teeny tiny capsules all have things they try to work around as opposed to a large diaphragm condenser or something like that. But but. I have seen some of the small ones that have been pretty good in terms of both base, mid-range, and high-end. Good, Courtney. 
Um, Shure makes a line of broadcast headsets that are used for uh, sports broadcasting that have pretty high qualities, dynamic microphones, noise-canceling microphones that are on them. I don't think this is one. I think this is a intercom headset, but if you look on Shure's website, I think they will have some that look like this that are designed for broadcast, so they're high-quality microphones uh, and a headset if that's what you're looking for. If the person isn't going to be on camera or if they're, uh, you know, uh, don't mind wearing uh, over-the-ear headsets. Sorry, I was trying to grab something here. Um, yeah. I just so, looked it up. It's the Crown CM311A is the yeah. one that Garth uses. So I think that this... Drum roll, please. Hold on. This is your this is your best. That's not the cheapest one. Um, but uh, this is based on Courtney's thing, Courtney's uh, recommendation earlier. So this is a... Wait for it. Wait for it. This is a DPA 4066 into the new Shure. This is that new um, uh, Shure U, uh, XLR M- to yeah, uh, MV1. USB-C. Um, this is the... Uh, yeah, I mean, this is the, the new the new Shure... Um, it's uh, an MV2. Yeah. MV2, yeah. And there's your USB. <laughs> so it's it's very tiny, and it and it, uh, it it plugs right in. And I haven't tested it with this mic yet because I just pulled it out. But I tested it with a Countryman, and it worked great. So um, that little thing is the nicest one I've seen so far, as far as a small pocket interface. We're trying to figure out this process for the Michael Krasny show. So um, so when we talked about it, I finally went and ordered one so that we could test the test this, but it, 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 it seems like a great little add-on to any headset mic um, that will make them, make them instantly a USB mic. So I would do this rather than, I would do, I would use a regular XLR with this converter, this is I think 130 bucks, but with this converter to turn it into a USB mic as opposed to, um, you know, trying to have a, uh, um, as opposed to trying to, to um, find a USB mic that is as good. Uh, you're going to find it. You're going to be a much better deal. Next question. Scott Mueller from Germantown, New York. Has anyone tried some of the center of the screen webcams like CenterCam? Did you like them? And anyone better than that? Good guy. I haven't tried that one in particular. I've been looking at it. Uh, the specs on it does say that it's larger than a Brio as far as the sensor size. Uh, you know, eye contact is so important. I mean, I'm looking at you through a pretty expensive system, which is a 17-inch teleprompter. And, you know, this is like almost $2,000. But the videos that they show on the CenterCam site do get, get that, uh, you know, right down the, the barrel look right in the eye. And there's ways of cheating it. So there's ways of of lining up two monitors. So the the inexpensive way to do this with a higher quality so you get a big sensor is the Insta360 Link, which I like the Insta360 Link because of just the, the... the larger sensor, the uh, better color rendition, the better, um, the less lighting you have to use. It's because a lot of these guys that would buy a center cam aren't going to have a big old lighting setup. So an Insta360 just, you know, takes care of that. But the trick is to use a second monitor behind. And that way you, you can align that person on a second monitor so that you're looking, you have the, the, the camera uh, where their, their, their eyes are behind on another monitor. And that's, that's the trick that I would use instead of getting one of these because it just doesn't look that great. If you look at some of the um, the product images, they the videos just compared to the large sensor stuff just look like garbage. I mean, it, once you get a, a taste of the Insta360 Link and some of these DSLRs and mirrorless and you know the, running a proper camera through an ATEM, 
it's just, it's a whole nother world. So I wouldn't buy a center cam. I would Insta360 link and do the two monitor trick. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I haven't looked at the center cam. If it's the one that's on a little stalk that comes down and sticks in the center of your screen, uh, it might be okay for eye contact, but then the person you're looking at is going to have like a camera on their nose or something. So you have to deal with that. And if you're using it for teleprompting, it would definitely get in the way and would block out some of the letters in the lines. And so it may interfere with trying to read off a teleprompter if you're using it for that in lieu of a beam splitter, you know. You know, I think that it, if, if you don't, if, if all you have are web cameras, I do, I do think that maybe it would work fine. I do agree with that guy that it's not super high quality. Uh, I've definitely done it in the past with webcams where we put them right in the middle of the screen. It's funny, most people just look past them. It's kind of like, you know, you can always see your nose, but your your brain has learned to not look at it and not, not see it. In the same way, we find that once people start getting into a conversation, they kind of forgot as long as the stock was really thin. Um, we used to do, we've done this quite a few times with larger monitors and they've worked really well. We can't put a whole SLR there, but we can put a, you know, we put C920s and stuff like that in front and these are Many of these, like the Insta360, are even smaller. So I think that those could work really well. Um, next question. Jeff Cohen, Miami Beach. Uh, how, do, how does DaVinci Resolve Standard Free and the studio version stack up against NLEs like Adobe Premiere and Final Cut? Good, John. I was a Premiere user for, I don't know, 15 years or so. And I've switched over about two years ago to DaVinci. And I love DaVinci. There's still some stuff I'm frustrated in, in DaVinci and I pop back. I still use Creative Suite to pop back and forth. But having having Fairlight and having Fusion and having the ability to pop back and forth is super, super useful. And it stacks up, I think, great. The color the color correction tool inside of DaVinci is fabulous. Good, Bill. I'm going to speak only to Final Cut compared to the all the other NLEs because it is a kind of a different beast. You have to work it differently and you have to learn it differently because all of them are based on the old AB paradigms of the past. They all have a linear timeline. They don't have the the enhancements that Final Cut brought in in terms of magnetic editing, in terms of having a keyword database linked to ranges of your things. All the little tools that if you have the kind of practice where you can leverage those they greatly accelerate your work. In fact, for the last seven years, I haven't used any audio DAWs. I just do all of my audio work in a Final Cut timeline because not only is the audio really good, but all of those tools, uh, the range selection, being able to pull content to me instantly, and the magnetic timeline just saves me tons. So it is different. And so if you're going to go in that direction, you have to commit to it and understand magnetic editing and the rest of those things. The other three, I think, much more easy to migrate between. But, of course, any good editor can use any tool. It's never the tool. It's always the artist that determines how good the program is. I probably go 50-50 with Final Cut and Resolve. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of right in the middle of it all. Um, and... Uh, when I need to do something fast and stereo, I I do I tend to go into Final Cut because I can just whack, whack, whack and whack it together and export it out. And probably it's going to be exactly what I need. So I, I use it for fast editing. Um, it's much faster than everything else, as Bill kind of alluded to. Anything that's technical. So as soon as I say, oh, I'm going to do HDR or fine color grading or, you know, 5.1 or, or anything else like that. Um, then I te that tends to move me to resolve where I have a lot more control. I literally just pulled in a 5.1 into Final Cut and I couldn't figure out how to get my center channel to, to show up. Like it misread it and then it didn't and then it wouldn't give it back to me. And, and it was just, you know, it's one of those things like it's not really built for multi-channel um, in that way. I, 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 it's, it 
it's there. I'm not saying it doesn't have it. It's just that obviously not, not a lot of people use it with more than stereo. Um, so, uh, so anyway, so I think that for me, it's when I need to do something technical. Also, if I'm doing visual effects, I've really gotten addicted to using Fusion um, in there because it's now in my edit. You know, and so I'm able to do really complex particle systems and matting and green screen and everything else, and it's all sitting in the file in the in the process. So I think that Resolve is is a is a more technical solution, but I don't open it if I need to do a fast edit. Um, it takes by the time I get it set up in Resolve, I would have finished it in Final Cut. So um, next question, Tyler Robertson Chambersburg has a question: Has anyone used the Hollyland Cosmos C1 for wireless video transmission? I'm looking for a stable wireless solution to use live, so it needs to have low latency. Hoping to stay under fifteen hundred dollars for transmitter and receiver combination. Guy, yeah, when these first came out, I went ahead and pulled one off the shelf and gave it a roll. I didn't do a proper distance test with it, but the neat thing about it and that was unique at the time was that it has USB-C out, so you can just you don't need a capture card; you can plug it right into a computer. And the other thing that happened was uh, we did this wedding event where. <laughs> Man, feel the bird. So th this is one of those things where you want to run the receiver very close and uh, to the transmitter if possible, and you want to get above people. So uh, what happened with us is uh, the crowd stood up. It was a wedding, and so during the, the group, uh, bride coming down the aisle, they stood up and the reception went out uh, or it got garbly. So you want to be careful. I'd be looking at the Axune in that same price range. So in the under $1,000 range, you, you, the Hollyland Holly C1 would be the one that I would get. But above, if, you're, if your budget is $1,500, i would look at the Axune um, Cineview HE. And that one, you could load LUTs in it. It's got even more than a 1,000 foot range. So, And you could also hook up... Um, uh, iOS devices uh, and using their app. So I'd look at that soon and maybe rent a Teradek if you really want to push the envelope, depending on how realistic it is to run a hard wire to that receiver and the receiver over to your, your switcher or your, your encoder. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I agree. The Teradek's a good choice, but it's not going to come in under $1,500. Another thing to look at would be DJI, you know, has, have been kings because of their drone wireless stuff. They have this set here that's uh, a transmitter-receiver combo for about $1,000 more than the $1,500. But it's got uh, quad transmitters, quad receivers uh, to cancel the multipath, and they say their range on it is about three miles uh, line of sight. Of course, uh, like a Guy says, you want to make sure you put your receiver up high to get above the heads and any blockade that's going to be uh, from people in the room, and you don't want to use it room to room necessarily. Although these uh, DJIs can punch through some walls pretty well, but because uh, they're pretty high power and they're extremely low latency because they've been using these low latency uh, 2.4 and 5 gigahertz transmitters for their uh, 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 first-person vid video drones. And if you're flying one of those drones at, you know, 35 miles an hour, you don't want any latency involved in uh, controlling it to avoid those trees and things. You know? By the way, DJI had a big uh, uh, set of announcements yesterday. Um, they uh, The new DJI Mini 4 Pro uh, just came out. It looks pretty impressive. Um, and it is a 4K, 60 frames per second HDR, true vertical shooting. So it actually takes the little lens and turns it, <laughs> turn, turn, takes the camera and turns it up. So you can do 9 by 16 uh, drone shots uh, for your next TikTok. And uh, so, 100 frames per second at 1080p. 100 frames per second, yeah. I, I, 100 frames is so weird. Like 120 makes sense. And, you know, 100, uh, I don't, you, you always know that there was some technical hit. Like, oh, that 
that FPGA can't quite go that fast. And so, because 120 would be the natural one to go to. Uh, up to 45 minutes of extended battery, which is a lot of flight. And a 20 kilometer uh, full HD video transmission. So when we talk about the wire, the reason I brought it up is the wireless DJI is playing, you know, I mean, I, it's not even legal to do that, I think, in the United States, because 20 kilometers, I don't think you'd be able to see it. So um, uh, so anyway, but it's a, it's a, uh, it's, it's an impressive, um, uh, impressive release. Next question. And it's a QR question in from Mark Hessling in Inglewood, Colorado. When watching the NFL on Amazon Prime Thursday night, it seems to be that the video quality is dropping frames. I don't notice this when streaming games on other platforms like Peacock and Paramount+. Plus. It'd be interesting to see, you know, what they may be trying to do. I know with football, a lot of times there's a pressure to try, because there's so much betting, is to try to lower the latency so that, that the folks betting are in the same play, so to speak. Um, and so, uh, so a lot of, there's a lot of pressure on sports to go at a low latency. I think YouTube is not b- bothered to try. YouTube's like, hey, we're giving you, and by the way, I don't know if you've watched the YouTube so- solution, but if you have YouTube dot, uh, YouTube TV or TV dot YouTube or whatever, it is the best um, Sunday ticket ever. <laughs> you know, so, um, and, uh, and so I, uh, um, it, it, the, the amount of options that you have are really great, but, the um, for the prime, what they may be trying to do is go to a lower latency, and that would cause um, that would cause some of the drop frames that you're that you're seeing is from your connection not being quite as stable as it needs to be for UHD or or the you know really high you know high quality hit. Uh, go ahead, Courtney. I can't remember whether it's Amazon Prime or YouTube. Uh, one of the NFL deals has a a, t- a version that gives you multi view, where they'll send four That's, up to four streams to a single to a single screen. And, YouTube does uh, that. Yeah, YouTube. So maybe that's the mode that it's in. But you're on Amazon Prime, so oh, maybe not. Maybe they're trying to send, experimenting with sending, uh, you know, two, two different views or four different views down the same pipeline, and you're only seeing one of them. The uh, right now, YouTube will show you four different games at the same time, and you can simply move the audio from one game to the other, but it's not full resolution. So when you actually decide you want to click on one, you have to wait for the next segment. Um, so it, it takes a, you know, a couple seconds for it to grab onto the next segment of that, of that game. Next question. Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida. Thoughts on the new Spider Checker video charts? Uh, it is, uh, these are the new, these are a new set of them. They, they um, are... I actually, I like the layout or I, I like part of the layout that they have here. Let me see if I can, I think I fixed the switcher, by the way. It wasn't the switcher. It was, it was a user error. Um, anyway, so I had an upstream key miskeyed and so it was coming in with it. So um, anyway, so this is the new, this is the new one here. Uh, it, it looks good. I don't like the white. I'll be honest. I Shooting, I feel like that's not the color. I usually want it to be dark gray, black. Now, it, it makes it harder to, to expose the colors without blowing that white out. So I was a little um, not not excited about the black, the, the white uh, color itself. But I also, um, but I do think I like the structure here um, of those of those colors. Um, it means that as they go around that, this is um, so. The reason that, that this is interesting is that this is the color chart going around the way you'd see in a Demont chart. And why that's important is because what you can do, I don't know if I can do this. Let's see if we'll just make it bigger. Yeah. Oops. No, sorry. Obviously the first time I've been to the site and uh, we will deny all those things because that's what you do. Anyway, so um, if you, the reason that this is important here is that if, 
if I zoom in on this and I cut through the middle of these with my transition on my, on my can on my, um, I do a transition in my ATAM and I cut through these going around, around like this. So I have the inside square as the one camera and the outside square as the other camera. I can use that to match those two cameras together. If I see a line, this is how I use the DeMont chart. If I see a line there, it means that, that those colors aren't matched. And when the line disappears across all those colors, then I'm matched. And this is the first time I've seen this in something other than a DuMont chart. Um, and so that's, I might buy it just for that, <laughs> you know, just, just to have that there because having that in your pocket and being able to pull it open to be able to match cameras, I mean, I'd still, for most professional things, I would use a DeMont chart, but, but I, um, the Chroma DeMont chart from uh, DSC Labs. But um, for my own stuff, that, that'd be useful. So it's, it's interesting. Next question. Jack Rupel from Breckenridge, Colorado. How can I get Office Hours 5.1 video on the Saturday show question? There, there's not much. Um, there's not much 5.1 yet. We are, I believe, we're streaming in 5.1, but we're just coming down the center channel. But we will. You'll still, you'll see us start to experiment with that um, over the next couple of weeks. And so um, the so right now the um, uh, um. There, it's just going to come down center channel if we're, if we're sending five done. So Saturday is a test day. And so we're doing HDR 5.1 4K. Uh, we plan to move by the end of the year to that, to all the days, but we're trying to knock out some of the issues that we have on the way in, on the way in between. So we're kind of going through this slowly. And so Saturday, we're, we've been testing it all year, but it hasn't been moving fast enough because of a variety of things. And so I decided to just go ahead and use Saturday for that because we're not doing education or accessibility while we do these tests. So Saturday is Q&A, the only way to see the HDR in 5.1 right now is over a set-top box, so a Chromecast or an Apple TV or other things like that, and, and a system, obviously, that can support that. But it's not available yet on the mobile. De- you can see the HDR in mobile devices, but the 5.1, you need to be on a set-top box with a, with a receiver that's going to support it. Next question. Jeremy Horn from San Francisco Bay Area. Per my previous question, I was able to get my I.O. with a Dante Avio connected to iPad Pro with USB-C. Works great for playback and Zoom. Thanks, Jeremy. Exciting to see that this is working, and I think we're going to see more and more. We'll, we'll be testing this more as we really, as we see that it's not just that it's now on the phone, because it's been on the iPad, but but now that iOS um 17 is supporting uh, a, a direct connection or a more direct connection. We should see a lot of tools that are really interesting here. Next question. Douglas Carmichael. Now that VPN software is available on tvOS 17, has anyone tried the offerings? I, I don't even know why I would do that. I guess. I mean, I don't, I guess the, the yeah, I don't know why. I guess to try to avoid regioning or something like that, but I, I've never, I didn't understand the TVOS process, so I don't think we've tested it. Next question. I think attribution got off there. I think that was Peter, and this is the Douglas question. Uh, okay, hold on. We got questions moving faster than we're answering them. Hold on. Um, hold on. Let's see here. Yeah, that, um, that last question read out was actually Peter Moore. Hold on. And let, then me, let me, sorry, we're having Douglas is back. Little, yeah. Okay. So, um, on the back end, we're heading the questions faster than we can do it. I'm not, there could be a software issue. Go ahead. Anyway, um, let's go ahead and read this next one. Uh, from Douglas Carmichael, when working with interpreters, should you try not to speak off the cuff so the interpreter can follow your presentation more easily? Good, Bill. 
Well, there are plenty of interpreters who are highly skilled at following natural conversations as they flow. I think you may be thinking that in some cases there's a script and an interpreter could pre-understand um, how to do that and maybe even rehearse, and that would be fabulous. I mean, I think for everybody who's working in that disability space, the most important thing for them is to accurately get the content out to their audience, the people who need that content. So uh, I, I, I do suspect that there's that the majority majority of interpreters who are signing have come into a lot of circumstances where they just have to follow what is being said regardless and don't have any script to work with. And that's one of their skills. And I admire it tremendously. Next question. Um, Rion Smith from Trinidad, West Indies. How do you ask Zoom to get 1080p and what does Teams do to 1080p natively or do we have to ask as well? Code guy. Yeah, generally you're going to have to get one of the accounts that's uh, got 10 seats in it, so in the, in the business accounts. And once you've got that, you can go ahead and um, talk in the back end. Uh, you can just Google um, search for Zoom's uh, request page and you can message them directly and just explain your need. It helps if it's a, a higher profile event or something where you're, you're doing something that uh, really showcases 1080p. Uh, I would put that in there in the request and hopefully they'll message you back as far as teams. The last time that I tried it, um, it divides up. So with Zoom, we can get multiple 1080ps. We can get, uh, not like with Zoom, I, I so we're getting eight. I mean, in this meeting, what are we getting like? Uh, up up to 16, eight? I think. Yeah. 16. Well, so 20, yeah. depending on the hardware. Yeah. So with Teams, what we found was that it would slice down the bandwidth. So you might get one 1080. Then if you had two people, you could drop down to 720. And before it started to drop down even more. But I haven't tested it in a, in a while. This is, has been, it might be old information now, but that was our testing when Greg Gibson and I were, were running some initial tests. Yeah. When, when Teams says it's 1080, it's 1080 for you talking to one other person. As soon as you add any more, it's, it starts to, starts to drift down. So next question. David Brady, New York, New York, just received an invite to Omniscope's public beta. New users can have a two-week taste. Anyone jumping in? Yeah, I've already found that it's more stable than what I had before <laughs> the last general release. And so uh, I was having trouble with my ATEM. I jumped on this really quickly because I was having trouble with my ATEM um, showing up uh, or it would just Omniscope would crash immediately as soon as I tried to connect to an ATEM and so, uh, or to my little mini. Uh, and this one already works there. It also it also has a lot of other creature comforts. I'd highly recommend it. I think that Omniscope is what you know we a lot of us use now. So um, it's um, I definitely suggest if you haven't opened up Omniscope or you haven't downloaded, this is a great time to jump in. Next question. Jack Rupel from Breckenridge, Colorado. Have you been watching Sale GP and analyzed their graphics and commentary? I don't know what that is. So I'm, yeah, I just no. put it in the web browser and it came up. Sail GP is the Global Sail Racing League. That sounds really visually exciting. And they have a lot of live coverage there, if that's what they're talking about. Yeah, it, it's, it doesn't, yeah, it's not spelled that way here. So I'm not, I'm not totally sure, but um, it sounds... Yeah, uh, that, this is spelled S-A-I-L, but I, maybe that's what he's talking about because it would be a... And right. it looks like they have those class boats that uh, compete in the America's Cup and things like that. Right. Be really interesting to see what the graphics look is. Absolutely, we just haven't had time to look at it because I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know it was out. <laughs> so, next question. Eric Hers from Hartford, Connecticut. Any thoughts on the Netflix versus Broadcom dispute in Germany? Perhaps they need to use a different codec. 
I don't know what the, oh, this is a video patent. I mean, I, uh, uh, I mean, I, I don't have, I have a general thing that Germany is hard to stream in. <laughs> like we, we always, we always had problems in Germany. Like, so it's, it's, uh, the, the German, the German infrastructure, uh, you know, the, the government there is much more aggressive than most of the rest of the world. And so, um, so I, I, I wouldn't be surprised, but I haven't, I have, I'm not as familiar with, uh, how this looks. Broadcom probably found a, a sympathetic ear and they're taking advantage of it. Um, next question. Douglas Carmichael. Presonus just introduced Studio One 6.5 with integrated Dolby Atmos mixing. With Logic and Studio One supporting Atmos, do you think we'll see more indie musicians releasing albums in Atmos? Uh, I think everyone's going to be releasing. I mean, there's a lot of re re-releasing going on right now with Atmos. So anybody who still has tracks laying around uh, are, are, are trying to move them into an Atmos mix, and that's largely because of Apple. So Apple is supporting, you know, the Atmos mixes and pushing them pretty hard. Um, and I think that that's, that's driving this huge, like re recutting of it. But I think that if you're not thinking about that as a, as a new artist, you should be because it's, it's going, it, I will say as someone who listens to a lot of Atmos, stereo feels very flat <laughs> compared to uh, what you what you get used to. Go ahead. Now, it's hard to tell also as an Apple user because a lot of times they do a bunch of perceptual stuff that tries to take your stereo and move it into uh, surround even if you haven't. Next question. Uh, uh, go ahead, uh, uh, Courtney. Yeah, I haven't uh, seen these Atmos mixes. Do they, since MP3 only handles a stereo two-channel mixes, do they put these out as a flak multi-channel and then go into a Atmos decoder on your on your uh, receiver? Is that how it works? Um, it is defined as Atmos, and it, it has, I believe it has all the metadata for ob objects, and it's inside of the MP4. The MP4 can support those things. Oh, so. MP4, yeah, okay, yeah. multi-channel MP4, yeah. Yeah, I got Bill. Well, the iTunes Music Store is still such a juggernaut that I would expect that a lot of producers are thinking, gosh, if I do a 5.1 or a more complex spatial audio mix, maybe that'll help me get more feature and and kind of be a bigger player in that very competitive market. So I would suspect there's a lot of drive for that. On the other side, it takes a lot more work, I would imagine, than just mixing down in stereo. A lot of people have that skill. Fewer have the skills for mixing down in multi channel and particularly spatial but also remember that apple has all these airpod pros that do their kind of spatial deconstruction automatically so there is a big market for this stuff it is one of those i think that right now at the beginning of everyone just trying to figure out how to get it into spatial but in the same way that we saw you know when we went from mono to stereo there was a lot of experimentation and suddenly we just got used to doing it in stereo I think that, that you're going to see a lot of artists starting to play with the ideas of what, what Atmos and what surround means and what, what they can play with and how they build atmosphere and how they do all these other things with it. So I think that we're just seeing the very beginning of that process. Um, I also think that we have to get to a point where the music mixers stop thinking about phantom centers um, because phantom center is actually a really, really problematic in surround. Um, they, they put left and right equal and thinking that's a phantom center, but it actually has this phasing problem. A lot of times if you're listening to it in, in your house, it works in your headphones, but it doesn't necessarily work if you're, if you're off a little bit. A good example of this is uh, Tom Sawyer um, by Rush. If you listen to it in Atmos on your home system, the instrumentation will sound amazing, but as soon as Getty Lee starts to sing, you start to hear the phasing problem that happens or some some kind of, it basically sounds like it's doubled up just a little bit. Um, and, and it would be better if it came down the center track. <laughs> Next question. Next question. 
Peter Moore in Auckland, New Zealand. Can Alex remind us or me what Sony camera and lens he's using on office hours, after hours, and Mac break with its awesome autofocus? Uh, yeah, I'm using the the EV10, the Sony. I can't remember the first part of it, but the, the Sony EV10, um, and it is. I'm using a 35 millimeter uh, 1.8 lens. Uh, the um, that's what I'm using right now is my web camera. I have to admit that I'm probably going to go back to the FX30 for my main web camera. Uh, the reason for that is that the EV10 doesn't have enough color control. So I, I mean, it's fine. It's but it, but I don't. I can't do any fine tweaking on it. There's no LUTs. And so it's just, um, and, and the controls are a little less. So I'm probably going to make it my travel camera. So it'll still be used. It'll be put in my travel kit. Um, so that'll be the travel camera. I was planning to use the FX30 for that. Um, but I think I'm going to put, make this one my permanent travel uh, camera. And then, and then you go back to the FX30 uh, for, um, uh, for the, for my home kit, because I'm using it all the time. Um, so, so I think that's, that's the direction I'm going. It's, I was, I'm trying to build kits that cost less. And um, I, one of the things I have to admit that I'm really excited about is the new Blackmagic cameras with rest control. So I think that that came out last week as well. And the ability to do rest means that if we can connect the camera to the internet, it means that we can run it from remote. So imagine having, uh, imagine having the rest be able to now, us being able to have a web page like we have for a lot of other office hour stuff and being able to actually color and, and shade and everything else from a web page to that camera directly. So depending on how much control we get with the rest um, camera for remote kits, uh, it could be really interesting. Also, the camera's output SRT, which means that one of the things that I've been thinking about is the process of what if we had a web RTC coming back and forth, we're all talking, but we were also sending SRT out out of the cameras. And so I think that those are both things that could be really, really interesting um, as, we, as we move forward for these kind of remotes. Next question. Douglas Carmichael, for a church that wants to book outside artists and presenters, how can you make your church as guest-friendly as possible? Go ahead, Bill. I would say that the number one thing is fill the seats. I mean, you know, this is a symbiotic relationship. Uh, your church wants to attract people in because you've got a message to send out for them. The artists who might be coming in want to reach as many people as possible. So everything you can do to make that work for both sides of the equation. I mean, I, I've seen this happen a good little bit where they think if I book an outside presenter, it'll help fill the seats. But if they come and you have a quarter size crowd, there's a very difficult process to try to rebook not only them, but people they talk to. So this is one of those strange things where you really have to make sure, I think, that the you're as full as possible if you want to continue along this path of doing outside draw entertainment. Good, Courtney. Yeah, if they're a musical vocalist or, or a performer, uh, schedule a sound check before the uh, church service, you know, about a half hour or 45 minutes before the church service starts to make them comfortable with the sound and, and work out any problems that you're going to have. And if it's a presenter, you know, you might want to reserve a little rehearsal time, get your AV crew in early to uh, let the person come in and check out the AV setup, the microphone, the monitors, whatever they're going to need to do their presentation and make sure they're comfortable with it and it works for them. Uh, and if you can cater to any needs that they, any special needs that they have, you might have some extra, you know, confidence monitor or something if they need that uh, standing by. Coming up next, we'll be talking about USDZ in the Apple Office uh, tools and, and how that changes a lot of how we're thinking about 
what we can do as far as publishing as well as presenting. Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, we have uh, coming up uh, tomorrow, we're going to talk about equalization. Uh, so equalization basics and uh, talk about how we approach equalization um, throughout uh, in, in our projects and what we're thinking about as we do that. Thursday, we've got SkyCam um, scheduled and uh, they'll be coming in and talking about uh, SkyCam and how it works. Uh, Friday, Viz uh, is now in the cloud and we're going to talk about what that means. Uh, and so we'll have some, we, we have actually the VizRT team uh, joining to uh, talk about that. Of course, um, Saturday is the test day. Um, and so you'll see HDR as well as two hours or up to two hours of Q&A. Uh, the, the questions on, on Saturday last as, as long, the, the, the show lasts as long as the questions keep coming in. Um, so, so we'll be doing that on, on Saturday. And then of course, Sunday is introspection. Also a quick reminder that we have um, that uh, today, uh, or I'm sorry, Thursday, um, we were, we're going to have a, um, a memo live uh, um, lab with Oliver Breidenbach. Um, this is, um, and I'm sorry, it is today, not Thursday. Today at ten a, at ten a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Oliver is going to conduct a face to face workshop um, in Memo Live in Monterey, California. It's uh, free to anyone from office hours to attend. So this is actually a uh, physical location. And in the email that went out, you'll see where you can go to do that. I believe we're having another lab that's going to be in after hours. I'm a little, um, but uh, but that's coming up uh, again in Monterey. So so stay tuned for that. All right, uh, now we're going to go ahead and jump into the second hour. Welcome back to the second hour, and uh, and we are now uh, going to talk about USDZ. Uh, USDZ is the uh, the little bit of background there is the universal scene description zipped. <laughs> so USD is universal screen, scene description, and this was created by Pixar to move whole scenes back and forth, and um, and so this was the uh, they've been uh, they've been using it for a long time. Apple came in and and decided to zip it up and and, and give it to us as a single file, and um, it has been. I think Apple announced it in. 2015 or 2016. And this has been a, um, you know, it's been a slow roll. We've seen um, a, a reality creator, reality converter. We've seen it, it's dropped into motion and final cut. Um, we've seen a lot of things that are slowly rolling out. But, but what I think is going to be a watershed moment uh, for at least Apple users uh, is the support of USDZ in um, the Apple Office apps. Um, and, and the reason for that is that, and I'll show you a little bit about why, um, but I think that there are, um, you know, it changes the way a lot of us do presentations. Now, PowerPoint has had some version of 3D in, in it for a long time. I actually think I'm going to show you an example of, um, you know, I'm going to show you one example that is that I did and I put up on, actually, you can see a walkthrough of it on our webpage, um, but the, um, or not on webpage, but on, on, in YouTube, you'll see a little USDZ. I'm going to put a bunch of other things up there related to USDZ. USDZ, by the way, is also supported in Resolve now. Um, so you can throw USDZ models into there as well. Um, but but one of the things that I think is interesting is the ability to reframe everything as you work. So what I'm going to do is show you a little bit of that. And I need to, um, let's see here. Let's pull up Keynote here. Um, Sorry for the delay there. I got a little. And I think that one of the things that I, I have a whole bunch of objects in here. So I'm going to, uh, we, we talked about this a little on Sunday, I believe. Was It was Sunday, right? I don't think it was Monday. I don't think it was yesterday. I think we were talking about it. So um, let me cut to, 
See, it now works. So anyway, so if we hit play here, this is a USDZ model, and we'll come back to do it. But what, what you want to look at here is if I say, oh, I have this here, I can illustrate this. Remember, I'm doing this all in Keynote. Um, so, and then I can, now I can add 2D over top of that. Um, so I can show how something might work. Um, then I can, you know, rotate around. Oh, this is me collecting a bunch of different things. <laughs> we'll talk about that. This is, I, I was throwing something in to, uh, to get ready, but you get, you can get, you get the idea of what, of what, what you're able to do here. And uh, if I hit play again here, hold on. I just had a, a file that had that there. So here you have this and then I can bring it back. But all of this is being done in, you know, in real time. Um, and so being able to, to do this inside of Keynote is, is pretty interesting. Um, one of the things that I was playing with, this is what I was doing here. Here you have a, a butterfly that, that pops in. Um, this is Courtney was asking whether it looped or not, because it's something that, that works in Keynote. And then I, and then I added a transition. Uh, you can see it, look at it above, and then I can look at it here and off it goes. <laughs> so it flies off. So, um, that is a, uh, but remember we're doing this inside of, um, you know, we're, we're doing all of this inside of a, um, I'm going to do this real quickly here just so you can see, you know, this is a, now what this is, is this is coming from, um, the Smithsonian. So the Smithsonian actually has some of their files already in USDZ. And if they're in, in OBJ, they're, if they're in, uh, uh, OBJ, you can convert them with the reality converter, um, to make that happen. But now to look at what we're doing here is if I, if I click on this, I can simply move it around. Like that is a 3D model inside of inside of Keynote, but you can see how being able to move some of those things around can be could be very powerful um, as far as being able to do illustration. So when you're talking about an object, so for instance, we we used to build models of a lot of things. There's some speakers. I'll turn those off for now. Um, but for instance, for almost every object that we had in Pixel Core, we built a SketchUp model. So this isn't going to work perfectly because the SketchUp conversion wasn't perfect, but you'll get a sense of it. We used to build these so that we could do layouts. Um, and so, um, but this is a 3D model of a, of a this is a US sound devices mix, mix pre, but you have all of these little bits and pieces. So if you want to show how something works, um, you know, this is a really powerful, you know, way to, um, you know, to, you know, if I was a manufacturer and I wanted to build how to do, how to use something or how to do something, this is the, this is the way I would do it at this point. I think I have another example here. Um, let's see, this should be. This was one that I was kind of playing with. I'm going to do a video of how I did this um, in the next uh, week or so. But um, but if you look at this, this has also the dynamic background. So this is going here, but you can say, and this is a model that Chris Fritchie actually built. Um, so you can see this is the wireless. Um, this is the uh, pole attachment. This is the solar power, you know, and the sensors. Of course, I'm sorry, I, I, missed, I haven't finished it, obviously. So... What I will say is that I think that this model represents what what I don't think Apple has done well, and what was missing from um, what was missing from a lot of the stuff is actually a good model. So a lot of the models that I showed you that 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 come with motion and do other things like that are okay, but they're not really taking full advantage of of what you can do here. So this is me. This is a model again. Uh, Chris Fritchie did this. 
uh, I believe in Modo, and then and then you know really did a lot of the a global illumination mapping so that the textures are there, but it also takes on texture. And really, you know, he had a physical one. He really made it look like it, and did a really amazing job at at making at putting this together. And this is the kind of level that's possible. And this is not taxing my computer at all. Um, it feels very light and easy, and it is. Um, and so this is a. I think that. Being able to show products, historical things, um, anything else you want uh, in in a presentation. Now it used to be that you know you buy a, you get a picture, you go out and take a photo shoot, and do this. And when you have this physical, um, have this thing that is that you can just move around as needed. Um, it's a I, f- I think it's going to revolutionize the way we um, you know the way we do a lot of these things. If I if I'm going to I'm going to now create a to show you how this works again, and then we'll open up to your questions here. Um, but here is a, we're going to open up a pages document here. And uh, my favorite pages document is the um, is the study of a cell. <laughs> it's just a nice layout for a lot of those things. Now, we don't need the cell there. So what we'll do is we'll delete that. And I'm going to just simply drag. Um, drag this in. So this is a USDZ of that Clarity. And I, and you can go to Clarity.io and you can download this file. So if you're asking about it, Clarity.io, we built this for them. And uh, this is a, you can see that I'm now moving this around. So if you really think about the power of what this looks like when you have high quality, um, you know, a lot of the examples of USDZ and admittedly a lot of examples that Microsoft used, I was kind of looking back at that. So now we can say, you know, uh, the Clarity... Clarity node, right? And uh, I don't know, I don't need that there. And say uh, measuring, measuring the future, right? Um, And the big thing here is that this is a, you know, I'm just, I just threw that together. But if I'm, if I'm trying to figure out what exactly where I want it, that was, this was like photo, 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 photo. Like I take all these photos and now I simply can do it. And if I want to change it and if I send someone, remember if I send someone this pages document, I can actually, um, uh, they can move it around. (laughs) So they, you know, they're not, they're not limited to it. Now I can so that it will print out, right. I'll get rid of these two things here and I'm going to drag in, um, I'm going to drag in this, uh, another clarity note here. So this can be an illustration, Again, I'm just dragging this in and moving it around. And it is, uh, and I'm just simply, you know, kind of placing it. So if I, if I save this out as a PDF, it's just going to get sent out um, to, uh, to my PDF there, which is, I think, kind of amazing uh, when you do this. Now, it doesn't have to be this. I could also talk about the fact that if if it's, if it's, uh, if it's a, uh, if it's, if it's a clear sky, you can, you can take this and this is your, you can go running. <laughs> but but the thing to look at here is, is and I've been waiting for this for, I mean, when I was building up my first DV Garage website 20 some years ago, I was just like, I just wish I had a model I could move around. And and I, you know, talked, um, talked to people about like, we just need something that we can render in real time so that we can move these things into place. Uh, and all of this stuff is now possible. And it, this is, and, you know, it's coming with a free app um, with no strings attached. And so, so anyway, there's a couple things that I've noticed here with this um, when you're positioning these things. 
is that there is, because Apple's kept it really simple, you can get into, into kind of a node problem where you get into rotations that are hard to, you know, get out of. And so sometimes what I have found is that this is easier if I go, I want to be, go over this way and then let go and then go down like this. I get a little more precision, you know, in that, in that process. When you get, you can get into a gimbal system, um, situation with the process there. But the point is, is that all of this stuff is not, there's not a lot of controls. There's not a lot of like what camera, ang- you know, what camera focal length and all the things that we're used to when we do 3D. Um, there's, you know, but I think that, um, you know, looking at how these things import and how you can use them in your documents, uh, I think that a lot of people who have products are going to want to, um, figure this out, you know, like they're going to want to, they're going to want to, um, you know, figure out how to do this. This makes it all much easier, um, to, uh, to throw things together. So I, you know, I felt like it was important to show a little bit of this because, um, I think that it's one of the most important updates that's happened in, in a long time for these, um, these, these pages here. Yeah. Go ahead, uh, Courtney. Yeah. A couple of questions. Uh, you showed earlier in keynote where you had, uh, that, uh, the gramophone and you were swiveling it around. Do you do that by programming keyframes and it does the in-betweens to then have the call outs animated so that it plays back as a, as a little mini movie when you come to that slide in keynote or are you doing that live with the mouse? Um, so the, hold on, I'll show you, hold on the, uh, let's see, let me get some of this stuff out of here. Uh, I put a by my thing. So the way this works um, is, let me cut back to it here. The way this works is that you have, you're using what's called magic move that Apple has, which is moving from one object to another. So if I want to, for instance, you know, this is what I was moving, I was playing around with. I move this where I want it to go. You know, and so um, and I might go in here and go like look at the format. So you just drop a keyframe at that position. You don't even have to drop a keyframe. Really? So okay. so what I what I have here is I have this this here. I'm going to uh, zoom it like this, and you can see what I have up here is the last one here, uh, and I'm going to turn it like this and scale it up. I guess I did that on this one here. And then I have this one here and I'm going to, I don't know, turn it like this. I don't know why I would do that, but it is what it is. Magic move simply says move the, where, what, any object that is consistent between the, the frames, um, just simply get to it. You know, so when I, with all of these, this magic move, I'm just, I'm just saying go from this slide to the next slide. There's no keyframing at all. Um, so I go, you know, this is that, that first pop is, that's just a 2D pop. But when I do this, that is simply just, I just reframed it in the next slide and said, magic move, go here. And then I, and then I animated these over top of it, you know, just using regular transitions. And then I rotated around to there and I'll, you know, and then um, rotate it up and then we'll get to the ones that I just did. So each time you create a So there's slide, the one that I did there. Every time stores, I create a slide. Yeah, it, it, it stores the, uh, all the uh, XYZ position yep. of the 3D object, and it just does a magic move. Translates yep. those XYZs between the two points with the 3D object. So. Exactly. Like if I, if I jump here and I, and let's say I, oops, I don't mean to do that. I meant to do um, a, I'll just start it from scratch here. So you can we'll create a new slide and then I'll, I'll paste. This is a, a skull that I found on um, all the stuff, if you have motion, all the models that are in motion, if you, if you reveal them in finder, you can, you can find all these models that are around. So this is a little, um, skull. So if you're thinking about it as a teacher, you're thinking about showing something, um, this is a skull that, 
that you can uh, that I moved around here. But now, if I want to show something very specific, what I do is I set this to um, in animate while selecting the slide, not the object. I'm going to go. I want this to have a magic move. And I say okay, and then I then you cut and paste it um, so that you're you got to make sure it's the same object. Um, it, it considers it the same object. Now what I'll do is I'll simply scale this up and I can rotate it, let's say, to there. I don't know why I did do that, but it's I'm sure it's important. And um, we'll pull this up like this. Um, and uh, anyway, so so now when I when I hit play, it's here and it simply goes up to there. And it you can turn on and off. the. E there's an ease in and ease out to that. Um, you can, uh, you know, you, you could have other 2D objects on here as well that were magic moving at the same time. So these are all things that, that can be animated between, um, between processes. And so it's, it's pretty powerful as far as like, I think that if I will try this, this may not, um, this may not work, but we'll, I'm going to give it a shot because it's just, we're just, we're just living large today. So, so I can say this is the, um, we'll call this the nose joint. So we have a nose, nose joint, nose joint. Yeah, yeah, nose joint, okay, and then okay. and then let's let's create a line. So the, the the trick here is what we'll do a line here, and we'll use this little this little pen tool here. Pull this out and hit escape, and I'll uh, pull this down and right into his nose joint here. So here's our, here's our, and we'll make this line a little bit thicker. I don't, I don't know if this is the best example, but we'll keep going with it. Um, and then I can do a arrow. And then if I do, um, so we have nose joint here and I cut and paste this. And if I now take this, rotate it around and scale it up. And if I also take this, we're gonna test to see if this actually works, and move it up here like that. Question is, will both of them animate at the same time? And the answer is, oh, no, no. <laughs> so it didn't. It didn't like that part. So anyway, that that's the. Um, uh, but you you know that that would be and, the, it would be great if it animated that little line there. But that was I was asking for a lot there. So the um, uh, so anyway, so but you can. I've in the past I've just had them appear and disappear as it rotates around, but but you can see how that works. Yeah, go ahead. And once you're once you're in playback mode, uh, in present mode, is it still a live three D object that if somebody asks a question, you can still spin it around and look at a different thing I on it while it's full screen in playback in presenter I mode? I don't think you can. I think it's in presenter mode now because I think it's waiting for a click here. But let's try. Nope, can't do that yet. So, so it just a, turns it into a series of frames, just like yeah. in regular keynote. Uh, yeah, and and. And and again, this is baby steps. <laughs> so there's, I think that we're. This is the first thing thing that was released. But I think that even now, when you look at this of just being able, how many times have we needed to just have? I just want, I just want to, it to be here, and I want my object to be, let's say, in the back or in the front, and being able to just do this and have it look relatively good. And again, I think that the um, the clarity example that I showed uh, a little bit earlier um, is an example of a very high resolution model that really looks very close to the product that you're able to show off. And I think that if, you know, I, th I think that companies, when you talk about kind of the explosive growth of demand for 3D modelers is about to hit because, um, I, you know, I know that 
think about all of the marketing materials and everything else that can be done now, and you are simply providing everybody in your company with these 3D models so that they, whatever they, however they want to rotate them, they don't have to do, do a new photo shoot. They don't have to go out and do something else. They have all these models that are done at a high quality and just simply pushing them out so that they can be put into documentation. They can be put into marketing materials. They can be put into um, their presentations. I think that every company that has hardware is going to want to figure this out. You're going to say something morning. You showed it uh, working with Pages, which is obviously an Apple product. Have you tried it with uh, the Mac version of Office with Word or Excel? I haven't, but I, I would be surprised if Microsoft doesn't support USDZ relatively soon, since they already have a 3D engine where yeah. they've experimented open, with a 3D open engine. Open GL engine for displaying 3D automatically. Yeah. yeah. So so I think I, I would be surprised if if you don't, because Apple's supporting it, the OS, they're not controlling it. You know, they're, they're I think they want as many people supporting USDZ. This, I do think this could potentially make USDZ the, you know, de facto standard for a lot of things if, if that starts to happen. If you can use these USDZ models in both, Keynote and PowerPoint, um, and eventually I think you, you could see um, 3D being supported in slides, in Google Slides, because Microsoft there's so Word much pressure. PDF, that would be great. <laughs> PDF, yeah. Yeah. So I, and I, I just think that this is a potentially a watershed moment. I think it was important for us to show it because I think that, you know, I, not many people, I think really, it really landed for people about what this actually means. So, um, I think that as someone who does lots of presentations with lots of objects and wish I could do something that was more interesting, <laughs> this is a pretty big deal. Uh, and so, um, I, I, you know, especially when we're trying to show, like, for instance, laying out, like, this is what your system's going to look like and putting it somewhere in the, in the, in the room or moving it around. And so I think that there's you know, a lot of opportunity there. Let's jump into the first question. Jack Rupel from Breckenridge, Colorado asked, I'm presenting a poster of an international avalanche conference and have purchased NFC tags for reference videos and USDZ files. How would I serve these files, web and local server? Um, you could do it over the web. So the way Clarity, if you go to Clarity.io, that's where the, the model that I just showed um, came from. Uh, you'll see that you can just click on a link there and it'll download a USDZ file. And so uh, if you, it, it will only work right now for iPhone users, you know, uh, you know, so people in iOS, but if you click on that link as an iPhone user, it'll actually ask you where you want it to land. <laughs> like it'll, it'll start, it'll, you know, you just like move your camera around pointing at the desk or the floor or whatever that you want. And you're, this is already happening, by the way, in Amazon about a huge number of household objects that I look at at least, you look at the photos, I'll see if I can find one for you. Um, but it is, you'll be looking at the Amazon, ob the Amazon um, uh, file for that object and it'll say, where do you want to place this object? And, and it is, and it, and it just pops down. I believe that's a USDZ solution that Amazon's using as well. I mean, they may, it, I'm sure they have a cross-platform version of it, but when it delivers it to iOS, it's doing that. And it just, it'll, It'll use your phone to figure out what the scale is, and Google does this as well. The Android does does it optically in the, and the iPhone does it with LiDAR. But it'll figure out the scale, and it'll drop it into place. Like I bought a fan. So that's for fan. augmented reality, though. That's right. augmented. Not so just, augmented not just a web page that it would take you to, right? So right. it turns the camera on and everything else, yeah. It can. I, I think you can do it both ways. But but the one I've seen, like, for instance, I, I have a fan that sits in my um, – it gets hot here, and I was trying to – at night trying to put, bring some cold air in – to the house and I got a, I got this kind of fan from Amazon. I didn't know if it would fit or if it'd be the right size, it's a pretty big fan. 
and it said, would you like to see it? And I said, sure. And I, I, I hit it and I looked at where I was going to put it and it just popped into place and I rotated around a little bit. And I, yep, that'll work. <laughs> and then it did go. And so um, that kind of stuff. And I think that, again, uh, this is going to be a revolution because nothing exists. Like nothing out there. There's, there's very few 3D models that are there right now. And so that usually is a, you know, a, a opportunity rich environment. And next question. Morgan Price from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Any recommendations on generative 3D AI tools that can output USDZ yet? Go, John. I can't. Sorry about that. Keenan was texting me. Um, so uh, Adobe Max, their event is in 10 days, I think. And so I suspect we'll see some stuff, some announcements there. And... Um, also, Midjourney has uh, said that their 3D stuff will be out before the end of the year. So look for those two platforms. And Blender is starting to support some of these as well. Um, and uh, so that that's also on its way. Let me see if I can make this work here. Uh, let's see. I'm going to try this in Amazon and we'll see if this, uh, if this works. So um, we'll cut to number five. And so here's a Cuisinart, um, and uh, it says view in your room. So I click on that view in your room, and it says move around, do, 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 move around here. Let's see, it doesn't know what I want. So tap the place. We'll place it right there. Whoop, it's really big. Don't put the Cuisinart on your keyboard. It's I know, exactly, exactly. And then it Juice says view one. So I can, I can uh, continue. So I can move this around. Um, and, uh, uh, I know I can rotate it, but, but I'm like looking at the Cuisinart, you know, in my room, you know, and this is something that, that they're, they've been, you know, adding for a while. Um, and it, it is to scale, I think, I mean, it looks like it's a scale. So, so those are the kind of things that, um, and that's just, I just randomly grabbed a model. Um, Amazon has had a small army. I've Amazon's had a small army doing this for years, <laughs> like five like eight years like they've been building stuff and so um and so they they uh so i think that that's going to be uh you know amazon's way ahead of it but i think a lot of other people are going to use it and i think that all those models really become useful when again when it comes to training when it comes to a lot of other things there uh, next question jack uh, rupel from breckenridge colorado usdz on keynote and notes ios how to share audio features yeah so the you know, I think that you can you can sh you can literally text this to somebody. I can text someone a, a USDZ model, and they can. So, I, if if uh, if Bill was working on a on something, he said, "Oh, can you just text me the model of the of the uh, US you know, Mix Pre or USB Pre two? I could just simply throw a text to him, and it would get to him. In fact, I can probably we'll, we'll try it. We're doing a lot of almost lab stuff here today. So, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, but but you can uh, you can text someone the model very quickly. And they can simply drag it right out of messages and right into Keynote, and they'll have that object ready to go. So uh, it's pretty pretty interesting. Uh, as far as audio features, there's no audio features connected to the to the uh, object itself, but you could, of course, put them in your presentation. Uh, next question. Matthias Utila from Helsinki, Finland. Is there any Mac OS app with USDZ model library that could make importing 3D models more streamlined? Well, importing 3D models in 
you know, on pages and numbers and, and keynote is just dragging it in. Like it's, if you have a USDZ model and you have those, um, I don't know if there's a, you know, there's not much of a USDZ library. That's why I'm talking about it right now. It's because I think it's a really big opportunity to, is to build these libraries for people. Um, and I think people will n- maybe not pay what they used to pay for 3D models out of TurboSquid, but it's, it's going to be the next clip art, you know, in my opinion, it's, you know, it's about to become uh, the next clip art. And so I think that this is going to be a really interesting, interesting time. Next question. Douglas Carmichael, do you think that uh, Apple will bring Reality Creator Converter into Mac OS as a standard component? Uh, right now, it's part of the developer um, uh, tools. And so um, I, I think that you have to be a developer to do them. I don't know if they're going to make them a standard. I don't know if they feel like that's something that's necessary. Um, I don't know if they, if Apple necessarily wants to make the OBJ conversion that easy only because they really want people to support USDZ. The problem, the problem with just converting OBJs straight over, which I've done a couple of now, is that the texturing and everything else isn't as pretty. Um, by the way, uh, and we'll do, we'll talk more about this in the future. Substance 3D is is one of the best ways to texture a USDZ file or or an OBJ file. So you bring the OBJ file in, drop it into Substance. Uh, the one thing that I that I had to do, um, and I'll do this in another demo, but I built a speaker. I took it. Well, I downloaded a speaker, and I and I. But you have to select all the objects and separate them. So I go into. I went into um, uh, Cinema 4D and so, separated all those objects out to make sure they were separate parts of a model. Then exported them out to Substance. Then I can texture them all, and it looks really good um, in in that. But Substance is the easiest one to do, and it will export. It'll import OBJ, let you resurface it. And then export out the um, the scene. And one of the things that I'm trying to now work on is the ability to. They have this thing called Sampler, um, 3D Sampler inside of Adobe, that Adobe has, and you can take pictures of an object, and it will extract. You take like seven or eight pictures of an object, and it will extract the. Um, uh, um, it will extract um, the surface, the surfaces of that object, which you can then put back onto the onto the object as you as you bring it in. So I haven't gotten that whole pipeline working yet, but I, I think it's coming soon. Next question. Matthias Utila from Helsinki, Finland. What are the panelists' recommendations for getting USDZ models, free and paid services? Um, remember that you can convert the OBJs. It takes a little bit of work with Reality Converter. So anything that's delivering up OBJs is something that's that's fair game. Um, one of the easiest places to get some models to play with is the Smithsonian. The Smithsonian is in, in a digitization project where they're they're digitizing lots of lots of models. Another place to go is if, just for examples, like some of the examples I've shown you already. Uh, you can go to the Apple site. Um, Apple. If you do Apple USDZ, there's a whole page of some example files that you can download to play with. If you have motion, uh, if go into your 3D objects in motion and right click and say reveal in Finder, and it will show you where all those, the folder that has all those 3D objects, they're all USDZs that are there. You can just grab those and throw them into Keynote as well. So those are a couple different places for you to start grabbing onto those models. Um, I think you're going to see more and more of those. Um, and I also think, I think it's what's, I think there's two things that are going to happen. The market's going to get much larger. But the price that people are willing to pay for models, 3D models, is going to collapse because if we're about to go out to a, a, a consumer market. You're going to see a lot of people, instead of charging 20 or $30 a, a, an object or $300 an object, because the market's so much bigger, um, the, you're going to want to spend $25 on a collection of objects. And so I think that that's going to change the model pretty quickly You know, because people are going to want, if the, the first companies that go out and provide clip art, 
um, for keynote, lots of like pencils and things and what teachers need and what scientists need and what people need to do their presentations. The first company that does kits of those of 25 of those for 10 bucks and do them at a relatively high quality, going to make a lot of money. Um, next question. Lenny Nelson, 1401 San Antonio, Texas. Can you embed USDZ into Adobe Creative Cloud apps? Um, the, uh, the, you can, um, uh, I believe you can bring them into, I don't think you can put them into the, the standard cloud apps. I don't think that they go into Illustrator and Photoshop yet, but I think that that's probably, I, I think there's going to be an enormous amount of pressure on Adobe to support USDZ as this starts to roll out, because I think that Apple, like they've done in many other places, is about to make this the standard. Go ahead, Courtney. Does the Chrome browser, uh, Safari probably supports it, but does the Chrome browser support a plug-in to display USB, uh, USDZ in a, in a browser window? I don't know. You can go to, um, we could go to Clarity. We can try it. Um, Clarity. Drag one in. Dot the browser window and see what happens here. Well, I can, if we go to clarity.io and we go to their, um, let's see here. Oops. I think it'll just download it. I don't think it'll, yeah. You can download it, um, but you can't. Uh, Will it pop it up into a it, browser window and view it? It doesn't. No. It's just download. It's like when you take an HLS. In, in, so it in just cr- points to the download, yeah. Okay. Yeah, or you take, yeah, you, 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 it'll just point to the, the text file. Like if you, if you put an HLS into, into Chrome, it just uh, sends you to the manifest uh, or right. lets you download the manifest. Next question. Shitiafla from uh, Gearswold Tromso. Workflow, my workflow for modeling USDZ mainly for iOS AR product showcases has been to model in 3D Studio Max, export to .fbx, and convert them to fbx to USDZ in Apple's Reality Converter. Is this still the best practice when exporting as USDZ is not supported? I don't think, I think it's actually pretty good. Exporting to FBX is a pretty, a pretty solid format. Um, I do think that you may find that you can get better textures using substance. Um, but, you know, to, to make that the final stop and to at least touch up those textures and, and look at them, I think that you may find a better, but if you're getting really good textures out of studio, uh, um, 3D Studio Max, I think maybe you don't need that, but, but that's the thing to kind of look at as far as, um, you know, what that looks like. The, um, but I, I think that, Converting from FBX to USDZ, again, I've been using Substance to do that because I'm usually rebuilding the textures in Substance to do that. So um, that's kind of the, the, the approach that I've, um, that I've taken. But if, if everything's hanging together, I think FBX to uh, Reality Converter should work um, just fine. Next question. Douglas Carmichael, are there any iOS apps to create USDZ objects via photogrammetry that don't require LiDAR? Uh, technically polycam doesn't require LIDAR. So that, that is a, that's one that you can look at. Um, there is a reality, um, con, uh, what, um, uh, the, the, the one that you, you, that Epic bought, and I just can't think of the name of the company, but, but they, um, uh, they're also, um, there's 3d scanner. Uh, a lot of these are designed to work with either LIDAR or not LIDAR. So polycam, for instance, will go to photogrammetry mode if you don't have LIDAR on it. Um, I think there's a lot harder to get good models out of it without that. Um, the other thing you can do is, is, um, there is, uh, um, 
Metashape, yeah, Metashape, which is um, is out. It's you can get a demo of that and or, or pay a monthly fee, and that's going to let you take a whole bunch of photos and convert them into into three D models. And it, it does a pretty good pretty good job. The hard part you really get into with photogrammetry is just you need to know enough to be able to close up the occlusions. And so the the base or something else. So a lot of times if you're taking an object, you need to figure out a way to suspend it without it. With, show, with covering the minimum amount of, of data and also how do you light it from the bottom to get the lighting in there as well. So those are the things you have to kind of think about when you start to do that. Next question. Matthias Utila from Helsinki, Finland. Could you play Legend USDZ keynote animations over top of the live video using key and fill? Can you say that again? Could you play keyed? Could you play keyed USDZ keynote animations over the top of live video using key and fill? So the way that you would do that is um, uh, Keynote will export Apple ProRes. Not only will it export Apple ProRes, it'll ep- export Apple ProRes 4444. So you can, you wouldn't do it live out of out of Keynote. There's not a key fill out, but you can export the the um, the animation out as a as an animation as a file that you can play out. And so anything that plays key fill from there will play the alpha channel with it. But it's not. You're not exactly using Keynote to do that, but you can export. Keynote will export it with an alpha channel embedded into uh, in, in ProRes. Um, yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Even if you don't have alpha channel support, could you just output it with a 100% black background yep. and then just do a luminance key and just yes, you can. set your clip level just above black? Yeah. Yeah, the, the one thing you have to be careful of is that one thing you don't have control of is you don't have an overall image control of the 3D object. It's just rendered the way it's rendered. Uh, so, so if there's black in the object itself, you might have holes. Yeah, it, but what you we do could with, output in green over green too. And yep. do a the, problem, the problem with outputting in green is that you're getting a 422 output. And so what will happen is, is that's all that comes into the... Uh, the switcher is running at 422 for an extreme at least. Um, and And so as a result... Uh, you're getting half the resolution of the green, of the color channel, so you will see some alias. Excuse me, see some aliasing along the edges. Now, if you did it at 4K and then subsample down to 1080p, you'd be fine. <laughs> but at 1080p, you're going to see a little stair stepping along anything at an angle or anything that's on a curve. Um, but so the black will work better if you don't have black in the in the actual pure black in the actual um, object itself. So those are things to kind of think about. But yeah, you could do that, and you could theoretically. And again, you can also do things like. Uh, I've done this for one demo where we didn't have any black in it and you can open up preview. You know, these have been opening in preview for a long time. Go full screen with preview on a computer and now you have an object that you can just rotate around. So you just key it, you you hit it and it just appears and you can rotate while you're talking and annotate it with, um, you know, with uh, your Telestrator if you have one. Um, Next question. Shiti Yudufla from Vyuzvold. And the question is, any tips to block users from scaling USDZ models in AR view? Uh, we don't try to we don't try to block them. I mean, obviously that's their their prerogative. It, there's actually good reasons to do it. Uh, if you have a smaller object, you can and you want to walk around it, you can literally grab it and scale it up. Though it, when it comes out, it should come out at the scale that it expects to be at. But the user may decide that they want to scale it up. So I can have like a what would would be a little statue. I can pull it up to being a giant. Um, object that I can, that I want to um, talk about. So, you know, so that it's not necessarily a bad thing. I wouldn't, I don't think it's very user-friendly to block them from doing that. Go ahead, Courtney. When you demoed it earlier on your, uh, with your, with the blender on your 
keyboard. It had a outline around it. Is that always there? Is that just no, a selection that's something outline or what is yeah, that? I don't, I think I might've been able to turn that off. I think that that's something that Amazon was doing. Um, it's definitely not something that the model does. The model can totally embed into the system that you just, and it'll actually, uh, when you're using it on the iPhone and you're using the native USDZ player, it will actually take lighting cues from your, from your camera and try to use it to light the object. It's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Next question. Rob Collins, Kansas City, Missouri, USA. Is there an app I can suggest or website I can point to when the person I'm sending a USDZ is uh, not on Mac or iOS? Not that I know of. I mean, there may be a USDZ viewer somewhere, but I'm, I'm not familiar with one right now. Uh, next question. Sheet Ilufla from Gorswald. Uh, asking any hints for triggerable animations in USDZ files. Loops are cool and all, but separate animations for different parts in the 3D model would be awesome. Think the record starts to spin when you tap it in Alex's gramophone example. Not yet. Um, so I, I don't. I think that you know a lot of times this stuff starts very in a very simple way, like hey, we've got 3D. But I think that I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see those things in the future. But right now, it's not not there. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Couldn't you in your keynote presentation do it as a build with, uh, you know, here's keyframe one and then, you know, do a magic move to keyframe two. And yeah, I think that if you really wanted a, something more you said natural, it as a build, I think it would be like you, it is you know, a normal uh, keynote presentation. They call it yeah. a build. Yeah. Yeah. I think that slide. I think that the let me see here. I'm just going to go down. What I'm so doing each here, mouse sorry. click takes you to the second uh, position on that same slide. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that this would be. So here's my here's my build here. Um, so there's my and I have it. Let's see, play and slideshow. So I've turned off play and slideshow, and then what I'm going to do is copy this and have this one play and slideshow. Let's just see what happens because I think that if we if we did that, we would go. We have this. There it goes and it starts. So what I did there was I have the exact same object, one with the animation and one without the animation. And I was able to, um, uh, yeah. You transition from the still to the animation and, um, yep. and since it starts in the same frame, it's invisible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's, that's one way to get that to work. Next question. Peter Moore from Auckland, New Zealand. One thing for us office hours, USDZ searches will often do an NZD versus USD search result. Nice for me living in NZ. Searches for USDZ news for the person voting down my USDZ currency. And my point is valid. I want tips on using USDZ searching. Dot USDZ. We'll probably get you there. Next question. Neil Avellido from Boston, or excuse me, Boca Raton. Have you played with USD tool sets from opening.org, openusd.org? Uh, I haven't, and I think that that would be, uh, I think it's something for us to, to take a look at. So open openusd.org, and um, I'm going to try to, let's see here, see what it looks like. Uh, yeah, so this is, this is really talking about the USDC structure altogether. Um, so if you, um, I haven't looked at it too deeply. I mean, I've seen it now that I look at it. I've been, I've been to the site, um, but it really tells you exactly how that, how the structure gets put together there. Next question. 
Peter Moore, Auckland, New Zealand again. I've got a prototype USDZ app that if someone moves through it or near it, it reacts based on the rules I've programmed in. Case statements, if then else, etc. No robots taking over the world yet. Thoughts? Well, I think that it's interesting. I, I, I do think that even using shortcuts, you could probably do some of those things uh, to make that happen. But a program uh, is even better. Uh, so um, I do think that there's going to be a lot that we see happen in the USDZ world. Again, I think that the big advantage that we have is that a very large company is behind it and really embedding it into everything. And so I think that we're going to see much more support for USDZ than we've seen in any other 3D format ever. Good, Bill. Yeah, I just want to reflect what Alex said. I think Apple has always been a uh, invent, deploy, then iterate company, and I'm. I think there will be a ton of iteration here. Keynote is such a popular tool. A presentation software, generically, in the corporate world, is really popular. So there must be a ton of people out there using this. And Keynote has always enjoyed a very healthy reputation as a. Uh, a really good implementation of a presentation tool. So I think they're going to throw a lot of effort into this. Uh, it fits perfectly with their 3D orientation with Apple Vision and what's coming in the future. So you just got to expect this is going to get better and better and better, uh, kind of like the software that we're enjoying that has really evolved over years. Yeah. And, you know, I think the fact that it is unencumbered by any purchase, it is free, it is on every every Mac, you know, out there as well as, uh, every iPhone and, and uh, you can actually, I think you can run Keynote from an iPhone, but definitely from an iPad. Uh, I think that also helps um, with the penetration. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, but to make it ubiquitous, don't they have to write to drivers for, you know, Chrome or for other browsers outside the walled garden so that the rest of the world that doesn't, uh, can't afford those expensive Macintosh computers can, <laughs> can take advantage so. of USDZ? I think that they'll let other people, I mean, the USDZ is an open format, so other people can write it. I don't think Apple's going to spend any energy on it. But but the, um, because it's right now, it's going to be a, you know, until other apps start to support USDZ, uh, Keynote, you know, and, and as model libraries start to roll out, which I think will happen over this year or over next year, Keynote will have a distinct presentation advantage, you know, over everything else until the others catch up, you know, and I think that they're going to have a hard time. Uh, you know, I, I get that they were there first, but Apple has a history of not so much inventing and deploying, but but discovering and deploying. <laughs> and so, and they they have a tendency to be able to um, push that much harder than everybody else. A lot, it doesn't matter that they weren't there first. They usually um, uh, out promote most of the things that are out there. And so I think that that's, so I think there'll just be a lot of pressure on other organizations to support USDZ more natively, but I don't think Apple will need to do anything um, with it. Code Bill. Yeah, I think it's going to be very much like Codex for video. You know, Apple doesn't write their Codex to make Canon camera stuff work, but they work and, and are very open to Canon coming in and saying, here's what we want to do with our newest formats. And then Apple works with them to bring them in. There's just such a monstrously huge environment of iPhones and iPads and things out there that you would expect that at least neutral companies that don't have a foot firmly in a different camp would certainly support this because it's going to be in so many people's pockets. Yeah, and I, I could see also, I, I'm very curious. One, one thing I haven't tried is what happens if I save, I'm wondering, I'm going to try to save this out. Um, if you export this as a, um, 
I guess I wouldn't know. I'd have to look. I don't have PowerPoint on my machine. It'd be interesting to see what happens if it, like if you export this out, one of the things, even if you're using Keynote, you had to get to PowerPoint for whatever reason. You could export this all out as, we've done this before, export it all out as images and then import it into your your display, you know, whatever app you have to use. And, but the, you still, you won't have the animations anymore, but you have the advantage of being able to rotate those objects to exactly what you want it to look like as opposed to something else. Can't Keynote out export as a PPT I can't. Stack. I just don't. I don't think it's going to export the 3D models. Yeah, like it's, it's going to export. It's going to export. How much doesn't? I think it'll just flatten them all. So, um, yeah. you know, render them out and flatten. Get a lot them, of still frames. Yeah, something we'll have to test. Anyway, uh, it, you know, it because it happened last week, and it is. I think I've been, and I, I can tell you, I've been waiting for it for 23 years. <laughs> so, and talking about it for the last couple of years, I thought it'd be worth us just trying to talk about why. A lot of us are so excited about it. Um, so anyway, that's hopefully... Oh, we got one more question rolling in before we before we close it up. Um, do we get that last question or am I, do I have a misreading here? Hold on. Uh, yeah. That's uh, from uh, Peter Moore in Auckland, New Zealand. Any updates on USDZ in the world of training for, say, fixing heavy machinery, maintenance, et cetera? I think that's where a big piece of it's going to go. Is, is doing exactly what you're asking. It's not there yet, but I think that illustrating how, I mean, the biggest problem with most objects out there that we're, get, that we're buying is using them, like learning how to use them and being able to, to display them in 3D. I mean, how, you know, there's just so much. And, and uh, the other thing that we haven't tested, which I want to test with Nick, is even uh, imagine being able to... Um, I mean, one of the things I've been thinking about is imagine being able to see like a, someone doing martial arts and, you know, that can be an, an animated USDZ file. Um, so you could you could have like a little stick figure doing martial arts and you could you could um, it'll show you the form and all the things that we never got. You know, you don't have to have those eight pictures that we used to get in books of how to do a specific move. Um, uh, go ahead, Bill. Well, I doubt there's any manufacturer in the world that isn't creating their products in, in products in some 3D, you know, probably CAD CAM software yep. or something. I mean, it's pretty much a required part. So eventually you'd have to see that if those big programs could just simply export a USDZ model of what they've already spent all this time designing down to the manufacturing specs, that a flood of this stuff would start coming in. And maybe it would become a little bit like corporate logos. You know, I can go up and now I don't have to recreate the Citibank logo or whoever I I need as a sponsor. I can just go grab it off a website. So right. sooner or later, the indexing of all those models of design that are coming out of the manufacturers would well, eventually the, the, move into this world. And the problem really is, is making them really photo real. Um, you know, so a lot of the yeah. CAD drawings are going to be very basic and cheap companies will just try to take the CAD models and export them out and make them USDZ models. And they'll look, the, you know, it, unfortunately, it'll kind of flush the market a little bit. And with, you know, people will start to go, oh, well, that's what USDZ is. And it's probably part of what damaged PowerPoint is people just exporting stuff out that didn't. So what I'm hoping is, is that we get enough people excited about this, that we start putting out models that look like the clarity ones that Chris Fritchie did and not like, you know, even the stuff that is in motion. <laughs> so, um, and, and that and we have really high quality models that we can, that we can, that people can see, because I think it's important that people understand how high quality an object can be um, to make that actually work. So we're hopefully we're going to see more of that where we can get people excited about it because I think it's, again, I think it's groundbreaking. Uh, next question. 
Sheet Eudel Fla from Gerswood uh, asking, do you think Apple is working on a 3D modeling software in order to encourage USDZ use, or is it Blender and Cinema 4D sale for the time being? Um, I think it's going to be Blender, Cinema 4D, uh, uh, Houdini. So Houdini, Maya, th- those all have great um, tools that let you put out um uh, USDZ. So, so there's a bunch of different objects, you know, a bunch of different things, 3D Studio Max, as we heard earlier. So those are all things that are going to export it out. I think that, you know, I think, I know that Cinema 4D, Houdini, and Maya, and Blender all do USDZ. I don't, 3D Studio Max doesn't sound like it does yet. But, um, so those are all doing it. I think that what I'm told is that the rank of those of the quality of the USDZ or the amount of control that you have, and I haven't tested all of them, but is Houdini, then Maya, then Blender, then US, and then Cinema 4D as far as the export quality out or the controls that you have on the way out. But I imagine Cinema 4D will be very high up there relatively soon. So I think those are the things that that I think we're going to see a lot more of. No wonder you are so excited about Feather. And those folks at Cinegate. Well, yeah. So imagine being able to take your feather object that you that you built and export it out, and then bring it into into Keynote and rotate it around where you want to show it. So it's those are all things that are that are possible as well. Yeah. Next question. Oh, our good friend uh, Kishi Flav from Gerswold uh, is back. Any experience in the size of USDZ models in AR mode? We have created a USDZ of our mobile stage that is eight meters long and placing it when on location scouting works awesomely. Could you make it a full size house you can walk around in the build site? I've done it by accident. <laughs> I walked around, I walked around someone's house and I was, um, it was an art, it's a per, person who used to own an art gallery. So there's just tons of art. And I walked around waving polycam. This is probably two or three years ago, waving polycam around and, and, and absorb, you know, gathering that whole house. And then when I sent it to him, I thought it would come in as like a small thing. It just came in as the size of the house. <laughs> so, so it was, so the, so the, 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 and, and the funny thing was, is that it, what it does is it'll, it, it uses the LIDAR to figure out what the distance is from the camera and it com- does a composite. So when, when, as soon as he popped it on, it looked like the bathroom, the toilet in the bathroom was in the, was in the kitchen, which was not appropriate. So, but it was just like, it just, it just grabbed the, it just happened to be where it was standing. It just set those two things at the same time together. I was like, mm, I don't think, I, I think we now know that we don't want the bathroom right behind the stove. Um, uh, next question. I think uh, don't have one. another one. There it is. There Peter Moore, Auckland, New Zealand. For us, my new word for OH office hours for USDZ experimentua.pls copyrighted. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, no, we we will be talking a lot about USDZ um, as we move forward because I think it is something that's, um, I tend to see things that I think are going to be really um, potentially very popular and try to make sure that we get ahead of it and we're thinking about it and, and working with it, whether it's HDR or, or surround or, or in this case, USDZ. I think it's important that as a service to our, to this group, this membership, that we all, um, you know, we want to try to be on the front end of that curve. It's a lot. I'm not a big fan of like, hey, everybody else is going here. I should go there too. I usually try to get there first, um, get the most out of it. And then by the time it becomes commoditized, I usually move on to the next thing. <laughs> so I'm always working on those things. And this is um, something that's out in the front right now. All right. Thank you so much to the uh, to the um, producers for all the great um 
all the great input um, and, and all the great questions that we had here today. Uh, thank you to the panelists. Can't do this without you. And thanks to the incredible team that makes all this work on the back end. Um, we traveled, wow, we traveled a lot today. There was a, it was a very, uh, um, a, a lot of traveling in the Tlaloc Traversal, uh, 205,000 miles. That is 330,000 kilometers. And it may be a record at 1.628 billion bananas for scale. 